come on, I am, I am, I am ready to jump into this book today. It's going to be good. Um, in case it is your first time here, we want to welcome you to Northwood Church. For first time watching online, we want to welcome you. Uh, we're a bunch of regular people loving Jesus uh, to the best of our ability and loving one another to the best of our ability, right? Well, here we are. James chapter one, uh, we are going to be spending the next uh, about three months in the book of James, and um, which this is one of those books where you could actually, I think any book, you could actually spend uh, most of the year probably breaking down a book. And if you've been reading James, you know that uh, every, almost every word you read, it, it's sort of like you want to you look back at the Greek. You know what I'm saying? You want to kind of dig deep. What was the context of what he was talking about? Who is he talking to? And how does it apply to my life? And so that's what we're going to do over the next few months. Um, I'd encourage you to, to maybe even possibly bring a real Bible to church. Uh, that, that would kind of be something different. Maybe, maybe bring a real Bible. Uh, I've got this little thing. It's called uh, the Letter of James. This is something that we bought for our small group. And uh, what it is, it actually has the, the, the book of the Bible on this side, and then it's got notes on that side. So you can take notes. I mean, for me today, it, it doesn't quite look exactly like that. My notes look a little bit... Um, a little bit different, but uh, but anyway, I would encourage you to get something that you can read and hold on to. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times we're so connected digitally that sometimes we forget about what it's like to, like, that sound, you know, the sound of paper um, is it, something different. And, and I want to encourage you over the next three months to, to kind of just dig a little bit deeper, to think a little bit deeper into the Word of God and, uh, and allowing the Word of God to mess with you. This book, we set it up last week uh, uh, in, in kind of the con context of James. We talked about James, who he was. And uh, <clears throat> if you missed last week, which I know there's a certain percentage of you who probably have. I'd love to encourage you to this, this week kind of look back at our YouTube or, or whatever podcast and, and listen to the previous week because so many times we're all about the bottom line. Just give me the bottom line. Just give me the quick, like the main statement, the big idea and move on. And, and we miss the beauty and the depth of the book uh, we kind of talked last week about how, you know, whenever you read a foreword of a book or the introduction of a book, the, a person sort of gives you context around who they are, why they wrote the book. And that's what last week was. It was sort of like the foreword of this book. Who is James? What's going on? And it is going to inform the way that we look at this book. So James, he's a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, remember, we talked about how Stephen, one of the church leaders, had been stoned. He had been, he had been uh, stoned. And, and so it's in Acts chapter 7. And in verse uh, chapter 8, we see how the church disperses. And a lot of people left Jerusalem. There was a lot of persecution. Uh, James remains in Jerusalem. Actually, his entire life, as far as ministry goes, he stayed and he built the church in Jerusalem, which I think is very respectable uh, for somebody to remain. It would have been easy to leave. But God had called him there and he remained there and he remained there and eventually died there. He was a martyr. He was killed for his belief in Jesus, uh, which again, remember James was Jesus's brother. And we also talked about how, um, how crazy it was that James would introduce himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus, right? That he went from just, he's my brother to he's my Lord. And uh, remember, so we talked about how, what a big transition that was and how that should inspire us to, to make Jesus our Lord as well. So again, go back and watch, watch last week. But this week, 
we're going to be jumping in and talking about uh, trials and temptations, because that's really what the first chapter, especially the first part, is about in James, trials and temptations. And the big idea today is that trials and temptations are both inevitable and God will use both of them to deepen our faith. They're inevitable. So if, if you're trying to skirt through life and, and not deal with tough times and trials, um, that's a losing fight. You're going to encounter tough times. You're going to encounter afflictions, things that happen to you that you had nothing to do with. They just take place. And here you are stuck in a trial and then also temptations. But our perspective in those determines the results of, of those and, and what happens in our life, because ultimately God will use them to deepen our faith. And James is a lot about faith. Today, we're going to talk about persevering faith and how we want faith that endures. We want faith that endures trials and situations, not weak faith, right? Now, the tension in the Christian life is that the very thing that we all run from is the very thing that God wants to use to build us into what he wants us to be. So we live life just trying to deflect and be distracted from uh, tough situations, that's why the entertainment industry is so huge, because everybody just wants to not think about the stuff that's going on in their life. Just turn on a good movie, right? Let me just go somewhere and have a good time. That way I can just kind of have some distraction away from the tough things that are going on in my life. The, the trials where God's perspective, the biblical perspective of trials is, is actually to lean into them. We don't want to lean into trials, right? Well, we're going to be encouraged today to do that, but in the right way. Now, one thing I want to say before we jump in is this. This book is, is written from the standpoint of because of what Jesus has done, this is how we live. All right. We talked about faith versus works last week, faith and works and how there's this, this tension between it. And some people might even say, well, the book of James is contradictory to the writings of Paul. And I would say that it's not. It's actually complementary. They complement one another. It's faith and works. If we believe something, it should affect the way that we act. And so James is a lot about the way that we act, the way that we live out our life. But don't take this book as throwing out the other side. No, we do this because of what Jesus has done. We don't do this in order to like attain some sort of level of, of, of you know, uh, grace from God. He is freely giving that. And be, it's our response to that grace is how we live out this life. Now, we're also going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take about two minutes and I'm going to read all of the verses that we're going to talk about today. I'm just going to read them in one, one, one setting because here's the deal. Sometimes we just read like a phrase or a verse and we don't get the full picture, man. We need to hear all of what James is trying to say and then we're gonna go back through and kind of parse through it and I wanna bring some things to you today that I think is gonna help you. So let's read James 1, uh, 1 through 18. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes and the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, to which many of you have already closed the book. <laughs> You're like, no, I don't need to count it all joy. He says, verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, I want to remind you of who he's writing this book to, to the Jews in Jerusalem. 
they are experiencing a lot of persecution. They have seen their, their, their church leaders and friends literally killed for the gospel. They've, they've lost jobs. They're going through economic, bad, bad economic times. Uh, many of them, again, they've dispersed. They're all over the place. It's, it's chaos. There's families that have been destroyed. This is not good. And, and he starts off his letter by saying, count it all joy whenever you meet these various trials. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It, its flowers falls, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Come on, let's pray. God, we open up our hearts right now to receive from you. Got to hear what you have to say in these verses. Lord, where sometimes we only want to hear certain things, God, I pray that you open up our ears to hear today the things that we don't want to hear, the things that we might turn a blind eye to. God, open up our hearts, soften our hearts. Let us receive today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So he starts off and sets the tone for the book, especially this chapter, whenever he says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Now we know that uh, joy is different than happiness. It's a different uh, uh, metric. It's a different feel. Joy is a whole lot deeper than happiness. Happiness changes from moment to moment, circumstance to circumstance. Joy is something that is based on something that is not circumstantial. And he says, I want you to count it all or, or consider it all joy. Consider it. So there's this thing in front of you that is not very good, but you are going to consider it and look at it as if it is good. Sounds like a mind game to a certain extent, right? Yeah, it kind of is. He's like, hey, man, listen, you're going to have every excuse to look at this not in a joyful way. This trial, this situation, you're gonna, it's easy to look at it in the negative, but I want you to turn it around and look at it from the positive. Count it as, as, as joy when you face these trials. It's actually the same perspective uh, that Jesus had and Paul had and Peter had when it comes to suffering and trials. Jesus talks about it in uh, the book of Matthew. In the Sermon of the Mount, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, 
when others revile you and speak false against you. Remember and rejoice and be glad. (laughs) Yours is the kingdom of heaven. So whenever you get persecuted, smile. Whenever people revile you, almost just be excited about it. (laughs) Can you imagine all the people sitting on the side of the hill listening to Jesus just going like, What's Jesus been smoking? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, this doesn't make any sense. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. He was pointing them to something bigger than the kingdom of the earth. He was saying, you can do this if you actually see it as yours is the kingdom of heaven. If you actually view yourself as a kingdom, as a, as a member, as a believer, as a part of the kingdom of God, you will be able to do this. But if you don't, you will not be able to do this. You're not going to be able to count as, all, as joy. You're not going to be able to rejoice in persecution if you don't know what's really going on. There's a big perspective shift here. Paul in Romans chapter 5 says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Believers, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And again, this hope is anchored in Jesus and it doesn't, it's not put to shame because it's based upon something that is it's fixed. Our hope is in Jesus. So the suffering actually produces hope. What? Yeah. Come on. You guys still excited about this book? He said, they're basically saying, look at these trials with joy because of what they are accomplishing in you what they're accomplishing in you. And that's difficult to do, but it's something that we must learn how to do. First Peter uh, uses the same word for trial. And uh, Peter speaks of suffering as testing the genuineness of your faith. How do you know if something is genuine or something is strong? You test it. Steel must be tested to see if it can take the weight, right? If you've ever had an injury in your body, you know that at some point you've got to test that injury. You've got to test that leg. I've got a buddy who had an uh, ACL repaired uh, or, or completely tore it and he had to get a, some surgery on it. And, and you know, it, it's, PT was going good, things are good, and he starts getting more and more strength and, and, and then all of a sudden he hit a wall, where pain starts coming back into play and there's some things that are, aren't exactly right. But guess what? If he just sat around with his leg propped up, it feels great. It's wonderful. Yeah, you're not testing it. You're not putting any, putting any weight on it. And that's the picture we've got to have when it comes to our, our faith. It must be tested to see if it's genuine. That actually, the process is much like whenever gold or silver is refined. You guys know that gold is heated and melted and impurities, they, they come to the top and those must be removed. And it actually improves the quality or the value of the gold. That's your faith. Your faith as you walk through trials is tested and is processed and actually comes out on the other side stronger and, uh, and more valuable and more genuine, right? And, and, and now, now we would think that if you protect it, right? Like, like, it'll, it'll, like just protect the faith and, and kind of keep it in a little bubble. No, it needs to be weathered. It needs to be weathered. It's almost like saying I'll get stronger if I lay in bed all day. No, atrophy sets in. Your body must encounter resistance 
And so much your faith must encounter resistance as well. Now, there are different types of trials. There's different types of testings. There's short testings, small little things that we walk through. There's longer things that we deal with. Some things that we walk through, it's like a day, maybe a, maybe a week, maybe a month. And then there's, there's other trials that last six months, six years. Sometimes there's things that we walk through that are never actually, it never goes back. There's some tragedies and instances in life that we face where we are permanently altered. Our life is, it's, it's changed. If you think about maybe a death in the family, a tragic death, that is something that has altered the way that you think, the way that you feel, the way that you approach life because that loss is permanent. And so there's no like undo button, right? And, and we wanna get back to that baseline of our life and how it was, but sometimes things happen and it just never goes back. And those trials are the difficult ones. The ones where we can't see how it's going to actually end. So how do we face these trials? Well, I think our perspective has a lot to do with it. There's positive and negative trials. And I think that this is another important point because every time we think about a trial, we only think about negative. But did you know that sometimes you face positive things in life that actually is a trial? I, I think success is a wonderful example of that. Success is something that we are all striving for, but sometimes whenever we become successful, it's actually a test to see, is our faith truly in God or was it just in what maybe God could give us? You know what I'm saying? You ever met somebody or maybe it's you, you've been praying for something for a long time and then you finally get it and you might even give God, give, give God glory in the beginning. God is so good. He's so good. He's blessed me. And then six months later, it's like, you don't even know who God is. You know what I'm saying? How many times, man, I'm praying for a spouse. God, if you would just give me a spouse, Lord, Lord, Lord. Come on. And then all of a sudden, that, that guy or that girl walks up and you're like, oh, they're the one. And then you, like, you just leave God. Thanks, God. I got what I needed. Sometimes positive trials, it's, it's a test as well. I think in America, a lot of times, there's a lot of people who are dealing with some positive trials and they don't even know it, don't even know it. That's why this statement is so important from Augustine. He said, trials come to prove and to improve us. These testings, they prove us, they, 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 even to ourselves, not to other people. Sometimes I don't know what I'm made of, right? What I got until I encounter resistance and all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, I'm that weak. <laughs> you ever done that? You're like, oh, man, I'm good. I got this. I'm strong in Christ. I know a lot of verses, <laughs> you know? And then all of a sudden, you encounter resistance, and you realize, man, my, my faith was actually pretty weak. This is actually good. I need to walk through this, right? So there's also something about trials when it comes to testing our faith that it produces steadfastness. And this word, I wanted to read something from a commentary on this word to give us a little bit better understanding. It says, the Greek word for, for steadfastness occurs frequently in the New Testament to show the quality required by Christians as they face adversity, temptation, and persecution. 
fortitude, staying power, heroic endurance are attempts to capture the meaning of the word. Those are also some words that are used in different translations uh, if you read different translations of the Bible. Fortitude, staying power, heroic endurance. Y'all like that? Heroic endurance. Very, very nice. Our attempts to capture the meaning of the word. It's not a passive submission to circumstances, but a strong, active, challenging response in which the satisfying realities of Christianity are proven in practice. Proven in practice. Again, sometimes we don't know what we got till we begin to practice it. And the spiritual results of trials are determined by our response to them. You want the trial to produce good things in your life? Your response is very important. Now, one of our responses whenever we encounter trials, which is why I believe that James goes here in verse five, is that whenever we face trials, we reach out for wisdom. We need wisdom. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom in these trials, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to him. Whenever we face trials, we need wisdom. Here's the deal. There's two types of wisdom. There's godly wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is like the cookies on the bottom shelf. It's the easy thing that we can reach out for. It's the way typically that our brain operates and it's usually sinful in some way, shape, or form. It's usually a simple response or it will lead to a simple result. But it's a reality in our life that we have got to, we've got to have wisdom. We have to have answers to our questions because we're asking the question why. And so we reach out and we grab for things. And, and the world, again, has a wisdom that is offered to you, but it's different than the, the wisdom of God. So where does the wisdom of God begin? I'm glad you asked. The Bible has something to say about that. Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So where the wisdom of man has usually nothing to do with the Lord, it usually has something to do with how you feel, which we'll talk about feelings in a little bit, but, but how you feel about the situation, the wisdom of God begins with how you see God and how you revere him in your life and how you fear him. And the fear of the Lord is actually the beginning of good godly wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. There's a lot of people today looking for insight. There's a lot of spiritual people who are looking for insight. And the Bible says that the knowledge of God is insight. You want insight into your heart and into your mind and the way that you operate? Learn about Jesus. Read the word of God. Learn about what it means to fear the Lord because that's where you'll find wisdom. Because we're reaching out and we're grabbing for all sorts of things, especially right now. We're looking for answers, y'all looking for answers. And so there's a lot of wisdom that's being offered to you, but the Bible says to look for wisdom in the right place. He goes on in verse six and he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Let him ask for wisdom in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And if you're that type of person, you shouldn't really look for anything from God because you're double-minded and therefore you're unstable in all of your ways. Faith and doubt. Now, we could spend about a month talking about faith and doubt. It's one of those subjects. We don't, we're not. We're going to skip a rock over it real quick. But faith and doubt, there is a tension between faith and doubt. And I believe that there's a big misunderstanding of even a verse like this. 
Because so many people, whenever they, they hear the word doubt, what they think of is don't question. Don't have questions. And I wanna give you a quick example of how I think that it's, it's a little bit off. Okay, I'm not like a big mechanic, <clears throat> okay? I don't, like I know how a car works, but I don't know, I don't know like how a car works. Anybody else with me on that? Like, okay, like we understand you put the key in the ignition and you start it and all that good stuff. And I mean, I get some stuff. I understand the gas and the batteries and the, the brakes and the steering and the crankshaft and all this kind of stuff, right? Or whatever. And um, <laughs> if my car breaks down, I've got about five seconds worth of knowledge that once like it's, you know what I'm saying? The battery died or it's the alternator. Past that, I'm like calling my guy. Hey man, I don't know. You know, I'm gonna bring it in. You know what I'm saying? And especially today with all the computers, come on. None of us know what's up. But, but with a car, I might not know exactly how the car works, but like I trust that it's gonna get me from point A to point B. I have a general understanding about a car, but it doesn't mean that I don't have questions about the car and I might need some guidance about how the car works or how to fix it or how it operates, right? In the same way, there's a lot of people who have faith in God they, and, and, and they have a, a certain amount of knowledge of God or understanding of God, but there's still some questions, right? And those questions don't invalidate the faith or say that you don't believe in God. It's just like, man, I'm trying to grow in that and understand more about God. And so whenever it says doubt, I do not want you, and especially young people, I don't want you to think that that means that you can't ask questions because that is not a way to live life and that's not a way to grow in your faith in God. Look, go read the Bible. Jesus spent most of his ministry trying to explain and answer questions to people. Come on, read about Nicodemus. Jesus is talking about being born again and, Je and Nicodemus is like, well, how does that, how do you? Jesus is like, oh man, <laughs> you know, Paul. He went all over the place trying to help people understand who Jesus was and answer questions, right? So, so if you're struggling with that, if you're a person, especially a young person who believes that you can't ask questions, that is not what's going on. I had, I had uh, hung out with a buddy of mine this past week and this was part of our conversation, which was he grew up and, and it was like, don't ask questions. Because if you ask questions, it means you don't believe in God. So don't question, don't have doubts, don't, don't, don't. If you feel that, suppress it. And you know what that's left them? With a whole lot of questions unanswered and, and like it would to any of us, like it did to me. Guy, I grew up in church, but there was something about these verses for me, it's bad interpretation. I just felt like I needed to suppress those questions. No, 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 no. It led to me in my 20s really struggling with whether I believed that there was a God. It, 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 I struggled with a lot of things. I needed to process through those questions. So come on, let's process through those questions. But this, when it comes to doubt, is really speaking about divided loyalties. Like there's a difference between saying, God, I believe in you. I believe that you're good, but I'm really struggling in this situation. I need your understanding. There's a difference between saying that and saying, God, I really don't believe in you. I don't think that you're able. I don't know why you would do this. I'm out. Divided loyalty. Now, nowadays, also in, in where we live, there's actually this, this sort of like trying to bring all gods together even, right? And make kind of like one religion, one, one thing, where that is also would be considered divided loyalties. 
right? Where, where there's a little bit of God and all the religions, and if you put them all together, you kind of get, you, you get the whole God. No, 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 that, that pluralistic thinking is not, is not accurate and also was completely rejected by Jesus whenever he simply said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the way to God. It's me or it's nothing. Christ stands alone. So there's no like, like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Let me kind of mix it and make my own thing. That's what society would like to kind of bring to you today and, and sort of you know, uh, organize your thinking that way. But that would be considered doubt. That could be considered divided loyalties, in my opinion. And we cannot live like that. I think Charles Spurgeon says it uh, pretty incredible. I think it's something that's going to also um, hopefully not make all of us angry today. He says this, you may readily judge whether you are a child of God or a hypocrite. If anybody starts the sentence like that, you're like, oh man, I'm about to get punched in the face. By seeing in what direction your soul turns in seasons of severe trial. The hypocrite flies to the world and finds a sort of comfort there. But the child of God runs to his father and expects consolation only from the Lord's hand. What type of wisdom do you reach out for, right? What kind of, who's your source whenever everything hits the fan? What do you reach out and grab hold of in order to anchor your soul? That moment right there says a lot about your loyalty. It really does. I'll just let you guys stew in that. Verse nine, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, his exaltation in Christ and the rich, let the rich boast in his humiliation or his humbleness in Christ because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. He's talking about the rich and the poor, those who have a lot and have everything that they need and want and those who don't. The NLT talks about how the poor in, this, in these verses have been honored by God and the rich humbled. What does he mean? Well, I think one of the greatest trials that we face, a lot of people, one of the common trials we face that we see a lot of is those who are in poverty and those who are not. Those who are rich and poor and there's this tension and it's a great struggle that, that many, many, many live in. And again, there's a positive and a negative trial. The negative trial would be you don't have enough, but the positive trial would be that you have too much. And did you know that there's a danger in, in, in regards to our faith in not having enough and in having too much? And so our perspective in those places must be the same. And he says, hey, if you're poor, boast that you are not poor in Christ but you have been honored and exalted in Jesus. And if you're rich, don't boast in what you've accomplished. God is the source of that anyway, but rejoice that you are humbled in your position in Christ. See guys, in the kingdom of God is really one of the only places, it's really the only places you're gonna find true equality. In this place, it literally does not matter how much you make or what you do outside of this room for a living, right? Outside of this building, your status, your class, your, your family, all of these things come into play. What you look like in the kingdom of God, it's not like that. We are one in Christ. Just because I'm standing on a stage does not make me any better than you. All right? 
Like, like, like this whole exalting people and, and putting people in different categories in a lot of different ways, it's not helpful, but it's also not the kingdom. We are one in Christ. And James is, is trying to bring this thought. Now, again, he's speaking to Jews who you talk about classes and you talk about people on, on the spectrum. Oh, yeah. He's speaking directly. We understand this conversation well. And he's speaking directly to it. And he's like, if you don't have enough today, don't, don't look at that trial and allow that trial to cause you to doubt God or to doubt his ability. Actually, I want you to look higher than that. Look higher than your temporary trial. Look to the fact that you are, being, that you are exalted in Christ. But hey, if you've got too much, if you've got a lot, if you've got all of your needs met, don't allow that to become your source. Poverty and wealth will both pass but what we have in Christ is eternal. So the trial that you're in, positive, negative, rich or poor, all of it's temporary. It's not eternal. It's a big perspective shift. He goes on in verse 12 and he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Steadfastness, if we remain, if we heroically endure, come on, have fortitude in our faith in God as it is tested and we continue to look to him as our source, we, it will lead to a crown of life. The crown is given to those who keep their faith through suffering and temptation. But this life is not just, it's not like a physical life. It's an eternal life. The crown of eternal life. Y'all, this is, this is the goal. This is the hope. Is, is it your hope? Is it, is it your goal? Is this the thing that you look for? It, when everything hits the fan, do you say, but I still have Jesus? And whether it's worst case scenario, my hope is anchored in Christ. Is that the response? It has to be the response. God wants you to receive this. He wants to guide you and comfort you and strengthen you to finish the race. And guess what? You may receive it. You may, you may make it all the way through your life and your faith endures. I know a woman right now who's at the end of her life. She's dealing with cancer that's, that's going to end her life. She's a woman of faith. Very strong woman. She should probably be up here teaching this message right now. <laughs> but her faith is strong. But guess what? Her body is still dying. And, and the cancer is still running its course. And I believe that for some of us, we believe that, that, that our faith in God means that we're not going to struggle. And it also means that we're not going to bear the scars of those trials. I want to let you guys know something that the scars that you have, probably they won't ever go away. I want you to think about your physical body. If you have a scar, right? If you have a scar in your body, that, that scar is, is not going anywhere. But guess what it does do? It validates the story. It validates the testimony. Come on, have you ever been, y'all ever been in like a scar contest? Scar story, and I don't have any scars, so I'm never a part of those stories, those conversations, but I'm kind of sitting there laughing the whole time, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh man, uh, this is where I was about seven years old, 
And I was, I don't know what, I was running on the roof of the house. I don't know how I got there. <laughs> and uh, I jumped off the roof, because that's what you do when you're seven and you're on a roof, you jump off of it. And I landed on the fence. I don't know. And it's just this gash, you know, and everybody's like, oh, and this guy's like, well, you know, man, right here, you see this? You see this? Like this right here, man. I was running. It was one of those nights. I was about 19 in college, and we were doing college things, and like I was just, I was running down the sidewalk, and uh, just tripped and just bam, right into a brick wall. It was crazy. Right? And like, what if I like stood up and I was like, oh man, listen, man, like when I was younger, I was running real fast and like I fell down and like I, I like, I had an abrasion and, um, and then it, it healed in a couple of days. I put Neosporin on it real quick and no infection <laughs> and uh, good to go. And then it's an awkward silence. It's like, that is not a cool scar story, brother, you know? Why? Because the grand story, the, the mark kind of validates it. Some of you have, you have some big scars in your heart. You have some big emotional things that have happened. You've, you've got things that you have walked through. And for some of you, you hide those scars. You cover them up. You don't like to talk about it because it was traumatic. But, but I, I want to encourage you today to realize that those scars validate your testimony validate the goodness and the faithfulness of God because you've endured. And those scars, as you tell those stories, not only will you find healing, but you're going to help other people find healing. You're going to encourage other people. What the enemy meant for evil, come on, God redeems. And he turns it around. He heals you. And then you use the very thing against him. Come on, it's awesome. The scars validate the testimony. Now, trials are accompanied by an enticement to, to sin. We call this temptation. And when the temptation comes, we either respond sinfully or righteously. Verse 13, he goes on and he says, let no one say when he is tempted. Why does he go there? Again, because when you face the trial, there's a temptation attached to that trial in your response. But when you go through these difficult times and you have these difficult these temptations, don't say this. Don't say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. God doesn't tempt you with evil, right? Some people, I've heard people say that. God's just tempting me with evil. You know, he's tempting me to sin. No, that would be against his nature. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's your own desire. It's your own sinful desire that's welling up. And when that desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, temptation is not sin, okay? If you've been being tempted in your life, that's not sin. That's just life. <laughs> it's how we respond, whether it gives birth to sin or not. Now, God doesn't tempt. We're tempted by our own desires, and if we pursue those desires, it can lead to death. But we are tempted by our desires or our feelings. And this is a word that I wanted to just take a moment and talk about. Our feelings. We all have feelings. Most of them are wrong because they're informed by our sinful nature. So typically, it's just like your appetite for eating. Nobody enjoys eating things that are healthy for them. <laughs> it's just life. There's nothing you can do about it. 
Last night, we had uh, some uh, uh, chicken Alfredo. It was wonderful. And my wife always makes some broccoli. We put the broccoli in there. With the broccoli with everything else, it's good. Last night, the broccoli, I couldn't mix it. It was a little bit, it was a little bit tough. It was OK. It was good. It's just, it's just, we didn't cook it long enough, but it's all right. It's all right. So I had the broccoli next to the chicken Alfredo. So what I had to do was take a big bite of chicken Alfredo and pick up the broccoli and just <laughs> mix it in real good, get that broccoli up in that, that Alfredo sauce. It's kind of like eating uh, carrots. You got to have some ranch on the side. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're eating dry carrot, baby carrot, you got to have ranch, cucumbers. You got to have ranch. Not if you're an animal if you did it by itself, you know? <laughs> so um, let me get back. All right. So there's a, there's a way that seems right, right? There's a, there's a direction. There's a feeling that seems right. However, it's usually not the right thing. It's usually not the healthy option. In our life, we're going to reach out for things because it feels right, but it doesn't mean that it's the best thing. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right in the heart of every man, and in the end, it leads to death. So you've got to check what it is that feels right to you, that desire. And you've got to, you've got to, to look at that from a biblical standpoint and say, man, is this actually the godly thing to do? Is this the godly route to live? It's a big deal. Don't blame shift for sinning. We are responsible in our temptation. Don't blame shift. Own it. And repent if you fail. I want to wrap up today in verse 16 through 18. It says, do not be deceived or don't be misled. My beloved brothers, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Don't be misled or deceived about the nature of God. The world seeks to dilute and confuse and deceive us in the way that we view God's nature. Because if the enemy can pollute our view of God, he can pollute our faith very easily, very easily. Last year, we talked about what do you believe? That was a series that we were in. And towards the end, it was back in like February, we talked about the nature of God. And if you remember the graphic where we had God and then it was kind of like spokes on a wheel and you had all of these different characteristics of God, his wrath, his holiness, his, his goodness, his faithfulness, all of these things. And the thing about that, if, if you take one of those spokes out, if you take one of those pieces out, you no longer have the God of the Bible, you have your own God. So many people nowadays struggle with seeing how a good and merciful God can also be a holy and wrathful God. It's like the atonement, whole entire conversation, is it's under attack, especially by progressive Christianity. God is love. He is love, but, but he is holy. And therefore, sin cannot mix with him. It's against who he is, and sin has a price to pay. The wages of sin is death, and so God has to punish sin. It is, it, is, it is just the way that it is. It has to be done. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that he carried out that punishment upon Jesus. Jesus appeased that wrath. And we don't like to say these words and a lot of people try to water them down and say, I just can't see how God, I don't know. I, don't, I see if God does not do that, that he is not a just God. 
If you pull out one part of who God is and who his nature is, the rest begins to crumble. And the, and the Bible, the story that the Bible tells, the, 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 it begins to crumble. We cannot fall prey to how the enemy wants to redefine who God is and redefine the nature of God. It has been set in stone by the word of God. We must change our thinking process to how the, what the word of God says, not the other way around. We've got to remain sure in this. His nature is good. His nature is loving, but he's also very pure and holy. Persevering faith is anchored to God's nature. If we want to persevere in our faith, we must, we must understand the nature of God. I want to leave you with these three quick things. Number one, we must be reminded that God's goodness is unchanging. There's no variation God is not, there's not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament and these different gods. There's not a God that was mean back in the day and now he's loving today. He's always been loving. He's unchanging and because he's unchanging, we can be sure that our faith is set in something that is fixed, someone who is fixed and does not change. Number two, God's goodness is undeserved. That's right. It's undeserved. If you come into this place today, you're watching online and you feel like you, you, you don't meet the expectations or the standard of God's holiness, join the party. Welcome, welcome. And, 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 and I think that's, that's the beginning phases of you actually understanding the love and the grace of God because we all fall short, but his goodness is undeserved. He saved us from our sin through Jesus. The last thing is that God's goodness is unending. Is unending. He's with us. He doesn't change. His plan will prevail. He's unending. He's sure. And today, if your faith is wavering, maybe you're struggling with trials and temptations and you feel unstable, today could be a day where you are reassured that you, that you plant your feet firmly into Jesus and say, I'm here. God, I have some questions, but would you help me in my questions? Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for every person in this place today. I thank you, God, that you are good and that, Father, you are helping us to understand. You're helping us to understand and have a proper perspective in the midst of trials and situations that are very difficult. If you're in this place today and you are facing some trials, I, I wanna encourage you in your faith today. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to have questions. Just don't lose your faith in Jesus. God is with you. Even if you, man, even if you don't feel him, even if you don't see him, there's many stories of people in the Bible who were wonderful people, and yet they still went through very, very tough times, dry seasons where they felt like God was so distant, your story is still being written. The scars may still be very fresh, but God's goodness is unending. He's with you. If you're in this place today, I wanna to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If you're watching online, same thing. Maybe you're far from God. You know that you don't have a relationship with him. But today you want to make a decision to say yes to Jesus. 
to put your faith in Christ. We all have faith in this place. It's just whether your faith is placed in Jesus or not. Come on, if you're here, you're far from God, but you want to say yes to him today. I just want, nobody's looking around. I just want to know who I'm praying with. If you're here today and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, just raise your hand right now. I want to pray with you. Come on, I see you. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Come on. I just want to pray with you. I see you back there. I see your hand. Yeah. Who else today? You want to get saved. You want to know that you know that you're, you're right with Jesus. I see you, man. Yes. It's a great day to get saved. I see you, man, right here in the middle. I see another one over here. Yes, ma'am. Let me ask another question. For some of you, you find yourself in a place where you, you believe that you're saved, you said a prayer before, but you, you also believe that you're just really far from God right now. You're distant. I see you right here. If that's you and you just, man, I, I, need, to, I need to recommit my life to God today. I know that I've, I've drifted. I'm far from him. Anybody else in here? I see you. I see you right here. Yep, yep, yep. God's grace is consistent. God's grace is here. He knows you. He hears your prayers. And this right here, this prayer that you're about to pray, the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice. This is a wonderful moment, a moment of joy. You don't have to pray the prayer just like me, but pray a prayer to God. Say, Lord, I am here and I am humble before you. I believe in you and I submit my life to you. I ask that you forgive me of my sin. You wipe me clean from all unrighteousness. I receive you into my life today. I thank you for Jesus who shed his blood for me. I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for all of those who gave their heart to God today? Yes. If you prayed that prayer, we're going to have some instruction for you later on. We're almost done with the service, and I'm going to give you just a couple of more things. But before we do, I want you to all stand to your feet. Because today, I know that we talked about some pretty difficult things. I know that we talked about some things that, that pushed up against where you're at in life. And I think one of the best ways that we can respond to a moment like this is by worshiping Jesus. Come on. That's what we're going to do band's going to lead us. I want to encourage you to close your eyes and lift your hands. And let's just begin to lift up the name of Jesus in this place. Come on. You have no
What an incredible morning. I hope you guys are feeling uh, feeling God's presence here today. I, I know it, right now for me, it feels like a little bit of a gut punch. Um, so I hope you guys are with me on that. So it's been an incredible morning, like I said, uh, going through James. Uh, thank you, Pastor Jordan, for just uh, just dissecting uh, that first 18 verses. I'm excited about the about the future of going through it more and just what God's going to do in all of our lives. I know he's going to do some incredible things. Um, so my name's Anthony. I have a couple of quick announcements before we uh, completely dismiss today. Uh, but before I do that, let's give one more round of applause for everyone that gave their lives to Jesus today. Amen. I don't know about you guys, but every single time we have that moment, I just stop and think about the moment that I gave my life to Christ. And so just such a pivotal moment. And so I want to um, encourage you guys to, to pray for these folks this week and um, pray for them moving forward. Every single day that someone gives their life to Jesus, we know what that what the trajectory of that looks like and that there can be some tough times, right? And so we, we definitely need prayer. And so, of course, at Northwood, uh, one of the things that we do after every single service, we have a, a prayer team up here up front. And so we want to encourage you guys that definitely those of you that gave your lives to Christ today, come up here and get some prayer. Uh, these people love Christ and, and they love you. Even though they may not have met you yet, I promise you they love you. They love your heart. And so they want to just pray with you. Uh, maybe you're dealing with something in your life, a, a, a trial or a tribulation, and you want someone to agree with you in prayer there. These people are here for you there as well. So definitely make yourself available to that. We also want to take a second and just welcome anyone that's new here with us this morning. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, whether you're, you're here in person or online. Uh, we welcome you, um, and we're so happy that you're with us. Uh, I want to also tell you a little bit about uh, a way that you can get plugged in, okay? And so here at Northwood, we have something called a Next Steps card. It looks just like this. It's in the seat pocket right in front of you if you're here in person, or uh, maybe if you're online, you can go to uh, northwood.church slash next steps and fill it out there. But either way, this card is just a great way for, for us to figure out a little bit more about you um, and, and get you plugged in, right? This is a big church. We want to make the church feel uh, a little less big, if you know what I mean. And so if you're here in person, just fill this out. It'll take you just a couple of minutes and drop it off in the Next Steps area in the back. There's a couple there that just want to meet you. And then one of our pastors will be reaching out to you later this week as well, just to, again, to touch base and help to make your transition a smooth one. Um, so definitely make yourself uh, available to that. Now, guys, you know that we are a, a very generous church in our giving, right? And because of your guys' faithful giving, we're able to do some amazing things and partner with some amazing organizations. One of those organizations I want to highlight today is called uh, Home of Grace. Home of Grace has been available, uh, been in business for over 50 years. And if you guys know anything about them, um, their, their, their main focus is helping people recover from addiction, drug and alcohol addiction. And I know there's probably some people here today, again, whether you're here or online, that have uh, experienced this in your life. Maybe you've went through this program and you know how tough that can be, but how free it is when you can break free from those addictions. And so amazing organization. We're so happy to be able to support them. And again, we're able to do that because of your generous uh, giving. And so there's two ways to give at Northwood right now. You can give online at northwood.church slash give, or you can mail it in uh, to the address behind me. Uh, whatever works best for you works best for us, right? And then uh, lastly, guys, how many of you guys know that Easter's coming up? Wow. Whew. This year is flying by. And um, man, Easter Sunday. One of the things I always think about is uh, Easter and Christmas, right? Those are the two times in a year 
where those people in your family or maybe in your life that don't really go to church very regularly, they're a little more open to coming to church on those two days, right? And so I want to encourage you guys to, to maybe uh, contact those individuals and just nudge them maybe to come to church uh, on, on Easter Sunday. We're actually going to have two time slots available at each campus, one at 9.30 in the morning and uh, the other at 11.15. So you have two opportunities to make it. Um, it's also a great time for us to get refocused and center back in on, uh, on why we love Jesus and, uh, hey, why he loves us or how he loved us, how much he loved us, right? So uh, make sure you make a note of that. Um, but that's all I've got for you guys today. Thank you so much for being with us. We love and appreciate you. Y'all have an amazing weekend. God bless you.